Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. To recap, previously on Avatar The Last Airbender... Team Avatar gained invaluable knowledge as to how to defeat the Fire Lord, but lost a beloved Sky Bison. Oh, Appa. I know. Yeah, and he's still not back. No, he's not back yet. So, uh, today we are covering two episodes on the podcast. (laughs) We're covering The Serpent's Pass and The Drill. However... (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be... This is frustrating for me because I had made... I had made this pact at the beginning of doing this podcast project that I was not going to watch ahead. I was only going to watch the episodes that we were going to be discussing as we record. So I wasn't going to watch anything ahead of time. And I watched an episode ahead of time for this week. So there's a whole episode that I've seen that we're not going to talk about, which is actually really frustrating because a lot of the things that I want to talk about tie into that episode that we're not discussing today. (laughs) But in my defense, it was not on purpose. Um, So JJ and Mike every week kind of look at the series as it stands and they assign how many episodes we're going to record for the following podcast, and they let more me know. JJ than Mike, really, and yeah, and I always forget, and so without fail, every Sunday night, I text Mike or I, you know, G chat him or Facebook message or whatever. I get in touch with him somehow, and I say, "How many episodes do I have to watch?" But she can, did. She did do. I that can never this remember, time. and he did, and he said two. I said, oh, "Are you doing two or three? And he said two, and I said, "Okay." I so gave her the I, names. Well, just, just putting that out there. I'm just but putting the that names, out there. But the names were not what was on my thing. So I went to Amazon Prime, which is how I'm watching the show. I have an Amazon Prime membership, and it's all up there, all three seasons. And so I went on there, and I found the next episode, and it didn't have the title that Mike told me. It had a title called The Secrets of the Fire Nation. I don't but even it was know the next titled that. I, I don't know I have, either. I have some insight into that, but I want to let Kelly okay, finish her. I was like, okay. Why is this like that? that? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I was like, okay, whatever. And so, you know, I press play and I'm watching it. And I remember as I was watching it, and I have in my notes, I was like, wow, they're cramming a lot of stuff in here. Like, this feels like a longer episode than usual, but they must (laughs) just be doing a really good job, like, putting all their information in there. So I watched the whole thing. And then the next, you know, it's like Netflix, it does the automatic queue up for the next episode. So the episode ended and then the next one came on. And so I watched that second one. And then this is where, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, after I watched those two episodes, I had a minute where I wanted to keep going because I ended on an episode that was kind of cliffhangery. And I was like, I really want to know what happens next. And I got all the way to have that third episode. The credits were loading. And then David, my husband, who was watching with me, was like, no, no, you can't watch ahead. And I was like, oh, okay, I won't watch ahead. (laughs) But then I was talking today. So today I was um, talking to JJ and Mike. And I was like, oh, my God, I have so many things to say. I'm so excited to record tonight. I have all these thoughts. And it's so crazy. And oh, my God. And we don't 
discuss any of the episodes really in detail. We save the bulk of our discussion for these podcast episodes. But sometimes, you know, if there's, if I can't contain myself, I'll text them or I'll G-chat them and I'll just talk about how excited I am. So I was doing that and Mike was like, yeah, it was, you know, whatever. And he was like, what? And I told him that I wanted to watch ahead to the next one, but I'd stopped myself in time. And he was like, what is it about the drill that made you want to watch ahead? Right. I was and wondering, I, you know, what was it? Why this episode? Yeah, you know, right. like, it yeah. ends. It's an arc, like a self-contained right. arc. It ended. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, why? Like, who cares about the drill? Like, whatever. It was fine. Like, it was a good episode. But, like, who who cares once that was all done? I'm talking about <laughs> the next one when all this stuff happens. And Mike was like, yeah, you weren't supposed to watch that one. There was, like, five minutes of radio silence before she put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and even then, I was so confused. And I was I was thinking about it in my head. I was like, did I just completely space out and... and it switched to three episodes and I just like didn't know. But later I always watch every episode twice so that I can really nail down my notes and what I'm going to say. And the second time I was watching it when I logged into Amazon prime and I saw that it was, they had combined those two into one. So it wasn't that they packed all this stuff into a really well-paced episode that just seemed longer than it was. It actually was double the length Mm -hmm. of the episode that should have been. So, (laughs) This is where I confess that I have watched ahead. I don't think it counts because it wasn't on purpose. No, because you stopped yourself or let I, David do it. Yeah, David stopped you from yeah. watching ahead. So I think this counts as the time we can say, I told you so. Oh. Which I got to say, I can't. It couldn't have come sooner because last week I came dangerously close to telling Kelly I told you so. <laughs> and you're not allowed to do that. Even I'm, I'm not allowed aware. to, but I can, so. I'm, I'm aware I told of the you rules. So, Kelly. <laughs> um, last week, Kelly was like, Kelly told me that she went in late to work because she stayed home to watch whatever episodes we were doing last week. And I said something <laughs> like, And here you thought you were going to be humoring us the whole time, which is. <laughs> Tap dancing on that line if I told to you so. To be fair, to be fair, I took the morning off work to accomplish several things, one of which was to watch my Avatar A the Airbender show, yep. episodes, <laughs> yes. But it was other things too, and I legitimately like had taken the morning off, and so it was all fine. <laughs> but yes, yeah. That <laughs> happened. So, Mike, is your Illumination onto why these episodes were grouped the way that they were better saved for the end of the episode, or is that something you should talk about before we get started? Um, we can talk about it now. It's not like there's no like punchline or anything to it. It's just um, I remember watching these episodes live as they aired, um, like distinctly. And the reason for that is because when they started airing season two, um, they were doing it like. I don't know what day of the week it aired, but it was, like, once a week. Um, and I think they were doing it so it was, like, three out of out of the four weeks of a month they had an episode, a new episode up. And that one week a month where it wasn't there, they either didn't publicize or something. Like, I, somehow I missed the message, and I would get, like, weird anxiety because this thing I was sort of addicted to wasn't showing up. So after two months of that... Um, they just kind of stopped showing episodes for two entire months. I looked and when at they the came air back, dates. They were yeah. like July and then September. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. July 14th to September 15th. 
Um, and when they came back, they aired both of these episodes at the same time, and they publicized it as The Secret of the Fire Nation. Um, but why? Which is... I, because yeah, no I think... the secret or anything. Secret of the Fire Nation in these two. Right. I think the secret was the secret drill, but still, I think it was a publicity thing. Yeah. Um, because they had been off the air for so long that they needed to, like, drum up awareness of this big thing is happening. Um, and then I found out, um, while looking this up, on the DVD, it is Journey to Boxing Say. Yeah. Because yeah, I have part the DVDs. One and part two. Um, well, they still have the episode names. They're just Journey to Bossing Say, Part 1, The Serpent's Pass, Journey to Bossing Say, Part 2, The Drill. Um, so they're, so I knew that, that it was... I mean, I remembered it as being kind of one complete episode to start anyway. Um, and and the creators, when I was listening to the commentary, also said that they conceived of it as kind of one long episode. And then they're like, well, this is not really going to fit in 24-minute chunks, so they kind of split it in half. So I I thought the creators did a good job of splitting kind of that one long story into two different episodes. So, well, since we can't talk about the one Kelly saw, (laughs) (laughs) what did you think of these? Good question. Yeah. All right, well, let me do my recap quick. Because of the way that I watched them and everything else, I only have one recap for the two, so I'll give that recap, and then we can just kind of talk about the entire story as it is in two parts. So, The Serpent's Pass and The Drill, or The Secrets of the Fire Nation. (laughs) (laughs) As Team Avatar makes their way to Ba Sing Se, Aang rediscovers hope when he thought all was lost, but Azula beats them to the wall with a weapon far worse than any they've faced so far. Meanwhile, Iroh attracts unwanted attention. I remember those two months being agonizing. I believe it. And there was no news. Like, I think back then IMDb didn't update as much or something, so I couldn't find out, like, what was the deal? Why wasn't this showing up? Anyways, let's move along. It must have been mid-season hiatus or something, but I just think it's weird that... I, I, (laughs) I don't know. Um... But yes, let's go on. Our thoughts about this in particular. Yeah. So we open up um, with everybody kind of playing in a little lagoon or a lake. And Aang makes himself into an ice cube and kind of floats around in the water. And Katara does the waterbender cannonball, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, And this, I just have to say, because I'm an equal opportunity appreciator of beauty is that Katara is hot in this opening scene. <laughs> the animators mentioned that. They're like, yeah, every time we've animated Katara with her hair down, it's always gotten yeah. a really positive reaction. She bumps <laughs> up. Like, you know, like normally when she's drawn, she's supposed to be around 14, 15, and she looks, you know, appropriate for that age. But with her hair down and in that, like, bikini sarong thing she's got going on she easily bumps up to like 18 no problem (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was pretty funny uh, and great good for Katara Um, so yeah they're all kind of there splashing around Uh, Katara splashes Sokka's map which he gets all hoity-toity about but she bends the water off of it and everything's fine and they are all deciding what to do, and 
I think it's Sokka says, you know, we've got to push on to Ba Sing Se. And Katara's like, you know, hush, you know, don't be so insensitive. Aang is still really upset over losing Appa. And then Aang kind of interjects and says, no, it's fine. Let's go to Ba Sing Se. When it's obviously not fine, but, you know, at the same time, what else can they do? So Katara has this this moment where she's like, I'm glad you're feeling better. Like, when it's... Like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, so they move on. They head to... Or, no, they're about to, you know, set on their way and figure out how to get there. And um, they come across some refugees who are also making their way to Ba Sing Se. There's two women and a man, and one of the women is pregnant. Do you, do you guys catch their names? I did not. Her name is Ying. Ying. And his name is Than. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you also catch that the pregnant couple is the one that Zuko spared in Zuko Alone? I was wondering about that. I didn't know if it was the same couple, but I... It's the same couple. I, I figured that it probably was because I feel like this show is pretty intentional. Um, I don't remember the third woman in that episode. Is she new? So, She's new. Okay. She, I think they just picked her up. Along the way. On the, along the way, yeah. 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 She didn't even really get a name in the credits. I think she was just one of the additional voices. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they meet this uh, woman and, you know, these people, but the woman is pregnant. And so that's just like a ticking time bomb right there. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but, so, they are discussing how they're going to get to Ba Sing Se, and Sokka's like, oh, we're going to take the Serpent's Pass, and they're like, no, no, it's deadly, you can't do that. There's this really convenient ferry system, and we'll just do that instead. Which sounds great, um, to take a ferry, why not? And then they get there, and there's kind of this whole customs sort of a situation where they all have to present their passports and their documentation and everything, and, of course, none of them have any official paperwork, and so they're going to get turned away, and Aang is like, I'm the Avatar! And the woman is like, I see 50 Avatars a day, and that costume that so is not... She's like, the costume is terrible. And we pan over, and there's like a group of Aang impersonators all sitting My there. My favorite one was there was like a grown man who was white, who was dressed like Aang, holding hands with a little boy who was black, who was dressed like Aang. <laughs> Like, that's... Neither of you are clearly it. And also, is that the first black person we've seen on this entire show? I feel like we've had a lot of other races, but... I can't think of another, and he was like a background kid. Maybe? I mean, the skin colors range kind of, like, all across. Right! right? You know, like, Katara mm -hmm. and Sokka are, are darker clearly skin, darker. And like, Aang right. and Zuko and Toph. Um, so... Yeah, I guess so. Must kind of the first, like, explicitly, like, black person. I mean, I guess it makes some sense if, you're, if your focus is on just the continent of Asia, which I'm pretty sure this show nails, you know. Yeah, they, they the, do All, all well. the bigger countries, yeah. Um, well, it's not like there aren't black people in Asia, even back in, like, you know, right. the time sure. or anything. Um, 
Yeah, I, I didn't think about it, I guess. I didn't really notice. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't important. It just caught my notice. I was like, oh, that's the first black person. Yeah. I kept looking at that group of people because I, I I watched this episode twice, once just to watch the story, and then again I listened to it because the creators had, had their commentary. And apparently one of the, and I couldn't figure out which one it was, but one of the Aang impersonators is based on Mike DiMartino, who is actually kind of the basis for Aang. So I had listened to this whole other podcast with the two of them talking about Avatar. And um, you know how we talk before we sort of got into this about how hard this show is to pitch to people? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like what is... And, and so they actually talked about pitching this show to the studio execs there. Um, so Brian Knitzko had come from an Invader Zim. That was actually where he was working. He and, oh. Yeah. Um, well, he and Mike had met at RISD, and then they went to... Uh, L.A. to work in animation. I think they were both working on King of the Hill. And Brian Knitzko just didn't want to work on sitcom animation anymore, so he went to Invader Zim for a while and had this opportunity to speak to somebody at Nickelodeon about story ideas. And he didn't have anything concrete. He literally just had sketches of these characters and, like, went into the room and was like, okay, <laughs> here's this, and this, like, it's got magic and this and that. And, like... They kind of just kept listening to it. And originally, it was not... Aang wasn't a kid. Um, and that was actually a studio imposed because, like, they're like, we're Nickelodeon, it's kids' channel, so you should, you know, make yeah. them a kid. Um, but yeah, the character design of Aang is kind of based on, on Mike DiMartino, who is bald. Um, so... Huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But I like that, like, not even they could have pitched it in one sentence. It was just, like, them going into a room and rambling on about all the things that interested <laughs> them. <laughs> and they're like, sure, make a show out of it. <laughs> Sounds good. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, we did talk about that a little bit. We probably should have recorded that conversation. I think that was, like, after we had stopped one day. But, yeah, pitching this show is just impossible. Yeah, yeah like, I'm not sure how I would do it. Described. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I mean, Kelly, I guess I'm wondering, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No. This is, like, I guess an answer for much later to think about. But, like, if you, I guess maybe when we're done with the show, or at least done with this season, uh, if you could think about, like, if you had a time machine and could go back and pitch this to yourself, how would you try to get yourself hooked into this? Because... I don't think I, I could, honestly. Because I think yeah. I think that you guys did as well as you could and focused on the aspects of it that I, that would naturally appeal to me. I mean, I remember when JJ was trying to get me into this, not even for the podcast, but just in general. And she was talking a lot about how, oh, it's really character driven. And I love character driven stories. They're my, my favorite things. And so she was really playing up that aspect of it and all this other stuff. And the Elemental, the bending, that's all based on elements. I I love archetypes. I love, you know, anything like that that distills different parts of human experience or, or qualities or essences or whatever into, like, concrete, definable categories that you can then, you know, use to play with and create metaphors and all this stuff. Like, I love that stuff. And JJ was like, this show has all of that. And I still was like, yeah. so i don't know that i could improve on that for myself specifically like if i were to go back in time and try to hook myself into it unless i could spoil myself for baby zuko then i don't 
I don't think there's anything <laughs> no, else that would have done then, it. I think I mentioned Zuko to you, but I don't think you remember what I told you about Zuko. I don't think so either. Because but what I would definitely you say? remember mentioning Zuko to you, but you don't have any context for that. So, so it I don't doesn't mean anything. Maybe Zuko would have worked, even if you know. I think the best way I can pitch this because Harry Potter now already exists in our cultural lexicon is uh-huh. to basically be like, this is like. Harry, if Harry Potter were set in kind of like an East Asian-inspired world. It's basically the same story. He's a chosen one. He has to defeat the big bad. They've got powers, and each season is kind of focused on him learning a new power that's like mm-hmm. building up his arsenal to go after the big bad guy. Yeah, he has um, his friends, and yeah. It's like a traditional... It's a very traditional epic fantasy, really, for kids. And it's kind yeah. of set in an Asian-inspired background. So that's kind of the best way I can do it. But otherwise, when you try to explain the bending and you're just like and the and the whole concept of the Avatar without having watched the show, it's it just sounds like gibberish to people. They're just like, what? I think um, at a certain point, I'd given up on the idea of Kelly watching this show, and I was wondering if kind of like the way people do with Doctor Who, if this was going to turn into a show where you could jump on at any point and be like, you know, Korra is my avatar, you know, uh-huh. or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, right. Um, and I definitely did what I would what I would call as like, like a dirty pitch to Kelly of, of like, <laughs> this is the, this is the hero that you want your daughter to grow up watching. You which did, is I remember that. True. And I'm, yeah, it right? is. I'm not it's proud of that. a low blow there, though. <laughs> Yeah, it no, totally but is. But is, I was getting desperate. That is completely valid because I do now consume media and think about, you know, not is this something that, you know, I I want my kid to watch or whatever, but, you know, I, I can't wait for the day that Penny can read Harry Potter. I can't wait. And I, and I hope that there is an equivalent of Harry Potter for her generation, although Harry Potter will be Harry Potter for every generation, but I hope that there's something that happens as she's growing up that she can equally become invested in that I can, you know, take part of. And uh, so that angle works because I, I'm serious about that. I love stories and I am excited to share stories with my kid, but yeah, I'm, I'm just weird about recommendations. Like a lot, Mike has been recommending things to me for years, which I'm pretty sure we talked about back on episode one of the podcast and for years. And You've never recommended anything to me that I've either watched or read and then been like, nope, you were wrong, that was stupid. (laughs) Everything that you recommend, I always end up liking. But there's, like, this weird, like, resistance on my part. And it's not because of you, because it's, it's with everything. Like, when I get recommendations, I just have this weird internal hesitancy about stuff. And I don't know what that's all about. Maybe once this is all over, I can do some deep soul exploration and figure out what that problem <laughs> is. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I, and I would not have watched this if not for JJ saying, all right, we're going to do a podcast. And I was like, well, I like podcasting. So sure. <laughs> and I'll, we'll just have a whole podcast where I'll just shit on this show that everyone loves so much. And I'll just, everyone will hate me. Because I, she was going to be the one person that hated this. Yeah, and it was going to be it was going to be Kelly. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I was just like, everyone's going to hate me because we're just going to have this endless podcast where I just sit here and talk about how much I can't stand this thing that they're forcing me to watch. And, <laughs> and 
And it hasn't really turned out that way, which is kind of interesting because even like recording episode one, I remember as we were recording it. And then when we got to the end of our discussion, I was like, huh, I like it better now than I did when I started, when we started recording, I didn't like it as much, but now that I've talked about it, I like it more. And so, yeah, this whole experience has been, uh, has been surprising for me in a really pleasant way. I think well, it's, it's kind funny of, it, that you go in with such preconceived bias against a show that you're just like, I'm not going to like it. Well, there's also that thing of like, anything that comes preloaded with a fandom can be yeah, intimidating, daunting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming into Game of Thrones, but now it's, mm-hmm. like, it's the only show that I make sure I'm sitting on a couch, <laughs> like, as it airs, yep. you know what I mean? Everything else I don't care about. Yeah, I have feelings about Game of Thrones, which we can talk about Everybody later. Everybody does. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. All right, so. I, yeah. So anyways, anyways yeah. back to the <laughs> Back to the episodes. <laughs> so, um. So, yeah, so they go, and there's this whole custom sort of situation. There's all the fake angs, and it looks like they're not going to have any way to to get on this ferry. And then Toph comes forward, and she has her official... <laughs> this document is so official. Um, she has her, you know, family papers or her passport or whatever that is of the... What is it? The Beifong family? The Beifong, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm, with the flying pig emblem on it and her family has is in such good standing and uh has such a good reputation um you know among the nobles and and everything within the earth kingdom that it immediately grants her access you know she's like i need a a ticket for me and for my my idiotic valets and my seeing eye lemur and and the woman's like (laughs) well normally you know one passport one ticket but sure anything anything for your family of course um and so they all go ahead and they get their tickets and they're waiting to board the ferry and then the group of refugees that they met previously which includes the pregnant women woman comes up and they're like oh our tickets were stolen everything was lost you know we, we we have no way to get on the ferry. And this I thought was weird because I feel like Avatar is usually a, a pretty tight show. For the most part, everything, you know, Chekhov's gun always goes off. And everything is always planted and ties in neatly and everything. And this random theft that just happens off screen that we don't see was weird to me. And I I thought that... At some point, we were going to learn that Zuko and Jet were responsible for it, or Jet was, or his something, I don't know, and that never materialized, and I thought that was Maybe weird. Maybe it was edited out, like, for time or something? It does seem like the kind of thing that would be a loose end tied up, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just I mean, thought that was weird. I, it, it would be so much neater and cleaner if they were just like, we were denied passes, Instead of like our stuff was stolen, yeah. Avatar Aang, right. it could just be like, oh, please help us. We can't get tickets. Right? Yeah. Like that. We're makes... not with the Bayfalls. Right. You know, because Aang couldn't. He didn't have papers, even though he is the Avatar. So it would make sense that they would also be denied. So that's that is it is one thing. They it it was definitely like, you know, this could have been a lot cleaner if you just yeah 
done this. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's not the worst mistake in the world. It's not, you know, character assassination or anything really terrible, but I've my expectations for the show are now apparently so high that that kind of thing sticks out and is really glaring to me. And I was wait, I was like waiting. I was like, okay, when is this going to come back around? And it just never did. So they decide, you know, they are going to forfeit their tickets on the ferry and they're all going to take the dangerous, deadly serpent's pass with these refugees. And so they go and Sokka has a really... Oh no, I'm skipping like a whole thing. I'm so excited that I'm like blocking it out of my mind because I can't, I don't think listeners can handle the euphoria. Suki is in this episode, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Suki is in this episode. How soon into seeing her did you know it was her? I knew it was her immediately. Immediately? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just, I was like, that is Suki. I know. She's Um, very pretty. mm hmm. And uh, so, to back up a little bit, um, several episodes ago, they went to Kyoshi Island and Sokka asked about Suki and she wasn't there. And, you know, they kind of teased that a little bit. But even before we watched this episode, I accidentally spoiled myself for the knowledge that Suki was going to come back. Because I was on... Wikipedia, because I use that sometimes to do my recaps, and I don't read ahead, and I don't, you know, do anything other than what it is I'm supposed to be looking at for that week, but for the first time, I was looking at the DVD cover art, because they have it at the top of the Wikipedia page, and it is also on the top of the Amazon Prime page, which is how I watch the episode, so it was really only a matter of time before I noticed this. But for the first time, I was kind of looking at the art, and Suki's in the DVD art of the yeah. beginning. And I texted Micah JJ, and I was like, Suki's on the art! She's coming back! And I freaked out. And so then, every week, it was a, where's Suki? Where's Suki? Where's Suki? <laughs> where's Suki? <laughs> where I freaked out when she wasn't there. And then we had that episode where they went to Kyoshi Island, and she wasn't there, and it killed me. And she is finally here and we'll talk about how pissed off I am that she's only in it for this one episode later (laughs) I'm assuming she's coming back but for now she came and then she left and it was horrible Uh, it was wonderful (laughs) but it was horrible Um, so yes so I actually cheered out loud when she showed up on the screen I was thrilled she is there with the other Kyoshi warriors they helped escort some refugees to the ferries and decided to stay and help uh, and you know this is what we what she's been doing this whole time because we learned earlier when Sokka was asking about her we learned that she was inspired by him and by Aang and wanted to contribute and so this is how she's been contributing so they reunite and it's great and she's great and I love her so so much um so simultaneously um or at least I guess simultaneously Iroh and Zuko are I think on a ferry sailing across the whatever it is the bay of Full Moon Bay yeah yeah so like Um, the whole A story is about Aang and everybody getting you know to the wall and then there's this whole undercurrent about Zuko and Iroh which we can talk about right now uh they meet Jet 
Yeah, and talking about people coming back from yep, previous yep. seasons. Yeah. Uh-huh. And both Suki and Jet are also in the previouslys, previously on Avatar, blah, blah, blah. And when I was watching the previouslys, like when the episode first was going on, I was texting Mike because I had asked him how many episodes I needed to watch. And so I was texting him and I was like, <laughs> is Jet in this episode? Because screw him. Like, I don't want Jet to come back. Plenty of other people can come back. Um, and a lot of my Jet thoughts have to be somewhat subdued because they bleed into that episode I wasn't supposed to watch. <laughs> what yeah. I did watch, so I have to be really, you know, aware of what it is that I'm saying. But I was not pleased to see Jet in this episode. Yeah, my note was, oh yeah, oh you again. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was literally my note, oh yeah, oh you again. Yeah. Like- I, I have, uh, Jet, seriously, leave Zuko the F alone. <laughs> what my note says. So Jet is there with two of his um his freedom fighters. Freedom fighters, yeah. Smellerby and Longshot, who are both wonderful and I adore them. Um, I love that they have whole conversations with Longshot and he doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. And Smellerby has that whole like, as long Iroh as I'm confident in, in who I am, it doesn't matter what other people think. You're right. Thank right. you, Longshot. And he's like... This, like, gender yeah. identity pep talk thing. Yeah. Awesome. She's definitely not... She does not adhere to the gender binary in terms of presentation. Because mm-hmm. there's a whole gag about Iroh being like, that's a smellerby. That's an unusual name for a young man. And she's like, I'm not a young man. He's like, oh, it's because it's a lovely la- name for a young lady. <laughs> and yeah. she's just like, uh, whatever. Yep. <laughs> they are all great. And so they're the only two traveling with him, as far as we know. They're the only ones that we see. And he used to have this big group of uh, people. And Smellerby is talking a lot about how they've, they've, they're going to Ba Sing Se to start fresh. They're going to be straight you know, they're going to start over, become upstanding, contributing members of society, no more destroying earth villages, you know, everything's going to be cool. Uh, which is, it's very clear that Jet is not necessarily 100% on board with that plan, but that's just the plan of the day, so sure, that's fine. Um, <laughs> his, his motives are less than trustworthy. It's just convenient at this point in time, to have that kind of a line. So there's a lot of questions, and honestly, I don't know that we're ever going to get them answered, you know, but I want to know what happened to everybody else, why did Jet decide to go along with this plan, you know, to be, to give up a life of Robin Hood-esque crime? Because it wasn't, it was Robin Hood on the surface, but it, there, the motivations were really not great there. Well, vigilante <laughs> justice. Yes, yes, vigilante is the right the right word you know but why is jet giving that up even if he's only claiming to give it up you know there's a lot of like weird unanswered questions that i i don't know that we're gonna ever answer perhaps we will but we're not gonna answer them right now and that's kind of fine um but he kind of jet kind of gloms on to zuko he overhears zuko complaining to iroh and he kind of inserts himself into the conversation and baits them by saying that the captain of the ship is eating far better rations than any of the passengers, and does Zuko Iroh's want... face. Yeah, what what kind of a king? Like, he eats like a king. What kind of a king? And he's like a fat, 
something like, like happy duck one. or something and, and yeah. Iroh just drools mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so Zuko agrees to go and steal from you know the captain of the ship and they they break in and of course there is plenty of delicious looking food there and they take it Zuko actually does this really cool thing where he like flips the bowls all together with his Swords and like stacks them yeah, up. Yeah, he stacks them. Yeah, <laughs> like takeout boxes. Yeah, is really what they look like. They yeah, just look like takeout boxes that he's like stacked together with his swords. Yeah, it's really great. So they do that, and they you know they get the food and they eat, and that's when Iroh puts his foot in his mouth to smell her bee. But this whole time, basically, you see Jet appraising Zuko, finding him impressive. And Jet kind of wants to add Zuko to his gang and starts laying the track work for that. And Zuko is just, you know, whatever, not really interested. Zuko doesn't want friends. Zuko doesn't need friends. Zuko doesn't know what's happening in his life. And he just wants to be really emo about it. When they finally arrive um, and that they, I think they get off the ferry and this is when Iroh gets the tea and all that, which happens in a minute, but... As Jet comes up to Zuko at one point and is like, hey, can we talk? And kind of shakes his head to indicate they should walk away from Iroh and have a private conversation. And Zuko just lets out this sigh. Like, this, like, <laughs> epic, like, ugh. Like, fine. This asshole like, again. I'll talk to you. God. Like, just the most teenage emo thing <laughs> in the entire world, and it's great. Um... So Jet explicitly invites him to be part of the Freedom Fighters. Zuko's like, no, thank you. And Jet notices that Iroh had ordered tea from a vendor. The tea was cold. Iroh was horrified. When Jet looks over after having a conversation with Zuko, Iroh's cup of tea is steaming. And we don't see him firebend or anything like that, but it's just the tea that was cold is now hot. And Jet puts it together immediately that they're firebenders and becomes incredibly suspicious of them. And that will carry on later into stuff we can't talk about. Um, <laughs> but I liked that whole story. I don't like seeing Jet again, but um, at one point... Zuko says, where is it? I've written it down. Um, at one point he says, I realize that being on your own isn't always the best path. Because, of course, he's just reunited with Iroh. Right. And I just, you know, I, I love emo, cranky Zuko. <laughs> I just think he's great. So do you guys have anything about that whole section of the story? Uh, just that uh, Iroh was drinking tea out of what I'm pretty sure was a cup made of leaves, which made me cut. It's or at least it has a leaf wrapped around the outside of it, and it made me hmm. wish that I had you know cups and bowls made of leaves. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice. I just basically my feelings about Jet are pretty much what Kelly's are. It's like, ugh, you yeah. again. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, it's it just, he's such a psycho jet. The way he's animated, the way he's so manipulative, he's so just, ugh, I just, ugh, he's the worst. Um, but I do kind of like his addition because what was the tension going to be? 
once Iroh and Zuko got to Ba Sing Se. Like, there mm-hmm. wasn't, right. you know, if they're going in as refugees, what would their story be after that? So clearly, adding Jet into this mix is, is good story-wise, because it gives them something else to have conflict with. So, like, I don't mind it on a story level, I just don't like Jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a good agent of chaos, but because of that, he makes, you know, you as the viewer uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Why is he here? They can go away. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He just sucks. (laughs) Like, he just... He just sucks. It's not even like some... Like, you know, we have other villains or other people like Azula, but I love when she comes in because she's great and also psychotic, but in a really engaging way that I enjoy. But Jet is just like, why? I mean, he is a pretty good villain, but... eh. Yeah. Um, I did uh, look up the name of his fancy sword hook things. Ooh, what are they? And there's like, I know, right? Me and my research. Um, <laughs> there's like five different names for it, but uh, hook swords, twin hooks, tiger blades, tiger head hooks, or this was the one that I thought was probably relevant, heaven and earth, sun and moon swords. Hmm. Because... Uh, I guess one of the things that you can do with them is hook them together and use them kind of like a gigantic, um, like, nunchuck almost. Oh, Like, where there's a hinge. Yeah, Yeah. where you link the two curved parts together and then twirl them around. Yeah, and it originates in northern Chinese uh, fighting styles, I guess. They're the ones who, you know, made it and used it. Crazy. I think I just assumed that that was just, like, artistic license and not a real thing all of i know this for a fact that all the fighting and the weapons and everything are heavily researched so they're they all have a basis in reality um if not like exactly like a one-to-one right like clearly research right clearly yeah interesting did you are they from any particular point in history do you know or um that was kind of Vague because yeah. apparently they haven't been, they were never officially used by any, um, like military anything. They were just something that, like, people studying kung fu and the northern styles had around to use, I guess. Huh. So it's hard to pin down exactly what it is. I guess there's a bunch of rumors, you know, there's a big debate about it pretty much. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So. The other main part of the story we have is Team Avatar. So conveniently, Sokka has given me that terminology in the course of these two episodes. Um, But Team Avatar is trying to get through the Serpent's Pass, which Sokka thought would be twisty and windy, shaped like a serpent. But (laughs) it turns out that's not where it gets its name from. Um, (laughs) And so they are... It's all blending in my head now because I all watched it as one episode, and so I don't know what happens in what order anymore, or when, or where, or why. But well, they enter the Serpent's Pass after they forgot they they lost their tickets, which they could just been yeah, denied yeah, yeah, the tickets, yeah. but whatever. So they approach the Serpent's Pass, which is this incredibly narrow, rocky, just like peaks kind of over the water. Um, and there's a sign that says "Abandon Hope." Yeah, all right. you who enter here. <laughs> right, yeah, it gets all Dante about it. Um, 
so so they go and they cross the there's some really cool bending in this yes. whole segment which Agreed. I loved um, like especially Toph because there's like you know they're all crossing it's like really narrow ledges like and there's like a steep you know so it's like really really narrow and then on either side's like a really steep drop into the water and the husband like like the rock crumbles under him but Toph just catches him like mm-hmm. he's behind her but she senses she it she feels just, like, it yeah yeah she just like shoots out a rock shelf to to catch him mm-hmm. um or there's like this kind of this avalanche of rocks that's falling down and she just like opens up like a little yeah like a little, like a little awning <laughs> yeah, yeah like, a, like a rock awning yeah a little rock awning yeah. that just like scatters all the rocks away from them I just like all the bit and she's just like what up she's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just walking around she's and great the, um, in this episode the rock awning I'm pretty sure was necessary because they noticed the there was a fire nation ship uh, oh, passing yeah. them Right. And the rumor was that they're trying to keep something a big secret, which is, I guess, the secret of the Fire Nation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And when they see uh, the husband fall, they start, you know, firing at them, and that's when mm-hmm. Toph, you know, helps yeah. everybody out. Yeah, so they get stand the west side of the lake, or the west side of the pass, the Fire Nation's occupied, and they've been doing something. So we know that kind of going into the Serpent's Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, but yeah, that rockfall has alerted them, alerted the Fire Nation to their presence, and so they're being attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get a couple of interesting things happen there too. So Suki comes back; she reunites with Saka, so she goes with them on this journey. She puts on her full Kyoshi warrior outfit, makeup, everything, and looks like her old self, and she joins them. And Saka is initially really like not overtly excited that she's coming along. And when the Fire Nation spies them on these the rock ledge, you know, he's like, Suki, you have to be really careful. And it just starts this rolling, um, mounting thing where he's being extremely overprotective of her. And she's kind of like, why are you doing this? I can take care of myself. And it when I was watching it for the first time, it seemed really strange to me at first. And then they had the conversation and it all makes sense. So we get two really great adult mature conversations in this episode, which is like my favorite thing in real life now. (laughs) Like I, I'm not even kidding. Like I, I love this. And, and it is so, I feel like fiction usually avoids having these conversations because anytime you have your two characters talk to one another and say things that are true and express, you know, their true feelings and their true motivations and their, you know, that they discuss what is actually happening. I feel like people, creators and writers of fiction would rather avoid that in favor of the tension But the tension's false, because all you need to do is talk to each other, and then everything's solved. It's much more complicated to have your characters have these conversations and address these things openly, and yet still create compelling stories and relationships based on that mutual respect. And so I feel like it doesn't happen in fiction very often at all, and Avatar The Last Airbender has been consistently good about it, and here we get two in the same episode. We get one from um, Sokka and Katara, and one with Aang and... Not Sokka and Katara, Sokka and Suki, and then Katara and Aang have one later. Mm -hmm. But 
Sokka has increasingly been overprotective of Suki, and she's been really bewildered by it. He's being kind of weird. And she finds him, and they're sitting down, and the moon is there the whole time, which I thought was really... In between them, yep, too. Physically like, right. in, in the them. frame, yeah. It was really, really well done. And Sokka says, I know you can take care of yourself. I lost someone that I cared about, and I couldn't protect them, and I just don't want that to happen again. I don't want to lose someone else. And Suki uses that opportunity to, to confess her feelings for him. They have this really cute exchange where she's like... Who is this guy? Is he yeah. taller than me? <laughs> is he taller than me? <laughs> I love it. I love you, Sokka. You know, it's and she's so like... <laughs> she's like, it is you. You know, I, there's this guy. I only knew him for a little while, but he was really smart, and he was really brave, and, you know, whatever. And, and she confesses that she likes him, and they have that moment where they almost kiss, but as JJ said, the moon is kind of hanging right in there between them. And then Sokka, he can't. He, you know, he pulls back at the last second and says, I can't do this. But it was such a beautifully done scene because Sokka openly admits that his behavior isn't about her. It's about himself and his own struggle to process what's happened to him. And that he has feelings for her, but he is not, you know, over the loss of the other girl that he loved and it's like this whole big thing and like we have like an adult conversation about it where two people are open and honest with each other and it's amazing (laughs) and I love it it's like my favorite thing because it's so valuable because that is that's uh, it's just great it teaches it eliminates a lot of tropes yeah yeah Yeah. it's like especially because if the moon was between any other two characters on any other show that would be considered romantic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but because it's this, there's, mm-hmm. like, baggage that comes along with all of it. Well, it's also that, like, it, it, you know, this is a kid's show, and I obviously, I don't really care, or I don't believe that children's sh- shows should pander to children or anything like that. But I like that they have adult, mature, emotional conversations between all of the characters, because that actually teaches useful life skills. Like, if you have feelings and problems, you should let that person know. Yeah. And then you talk through that conflict, and you can resolve it, or not, depending, yeah. whatever. But it's, like, useful, like, real-life skills that, you know, as opposed to, like, oh, I have to hold hold all of my angst inside because mm-hmm. whatever stupid reason it is. Um, instead, you have characters who talk about it, and there's still interesting conflict. There's still... Like, the conflict isn't that... Because if if Sokka didn't tell Suki about Yue, then the conflict would be just completely stupid because it would be about Sokka keeping a secret and being overprotective of Suki in a you know, and she's just like, What is wrong with you? And like right. it's just like this like dumb tension, but now the tension becomes I'm really sorry, I have feelings for you, but I just can't, I'm not emotionally ready. Like that's mm-hmm. a totally different conflict and I like that. Yeah. And I couldn't I did not have the ability to have those kind of conversations until, like, later in my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, much later in my life. Like, I want to say I was probably, like, 26 or 27 before I could have an open conversation like that with someone. And the thing was, when I was younger, I thought I was having open conversations all the time. 
but I really wasn't because I was never talking about like, hey, this hurt me or hey, I'm scared or hey, I'm sorry. Like I just couldn't ever say whatever it is that I was experiencing and I couldn't ever outright ask anyone else to give me that same kind of openness in the same way. And so everything was just like all angst and false conflict all the time and was really terrible. So now I'm that I see how magical it is to have like an adult responsible, emotionally mature conversation with another human being. It's like my favorite thing in life. (laughs) And so everybody should put it in your fiction too, because it's great. Um, Do it. When you first said that, I assumed you just meant that like, Talking to a two-year-old all the time isn't as stimulating as having an adult conversation, but I see what you mean now with... Well, no, those are know. those are crazy, too, because I try to have adult conversations with my two-year-old <laughs> in that sense that, like, you know, we talk a lot about feelings and we talk a lot about it's okay to have these feelings, but, you know, but her, her comprehension levels are... Are right. slightly right. below she's she's a, Yeah, she's a two-year-old. But it's like, use your words, darling. Use yeah, your we words. Say, we say use your words way too I did much. laugh really loudly at um, b- before they had that conversation, uh, Sokka and Suki, um, and he's still, like, babying her or whatever. And he thinks, he screams because he thinks there might be a spider. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, not only is his scream really funny and sudden, but there's, like, a split-second music cue that comes with it, like, straight out of a horror movie of, like, like the killers behind the door noises. Right. But there might be a spider. Oh, so good. But he's like, oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. That's right. good. Yeah, he turned on a dime, too. It was, and then, oh, no, oh, no it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> so good. I love that uh, storyline. And then, since we're there, we might as well see it all the way through, but, of course... Um, later on, Suki comes up to him and says, hey, you know, I clearly misread the situation last night. We were just talking and saying all these things and I, you know, thought it was going somewhere that it wasn't and she's going to be leaving them and, um, Sokka just kind of cuts her off and he kisses her and then he kisses her again and I cheered aloud on my screen Again. I know. I was like, yay, it's the Suka. It's called Suka, that shit. Mm-hmm. It's called Suka. It was really funny because I was listening to, again, like, the creators. And they were pointing out, like, in the in the kiss animation, you can see the tendon of Sokka's neck as he's kissing her. And they're like, I think this was referenced. <laughs> Meaning, like, there's, like, a li- real live action right. reference as they're animating mm-hmm. this kiss. Which made me laugh really hard. <laughs> Yeah. I also appreciated that, I mean, if there's just more reversing of tropes, but, like, I feel like Sokka's line of, you talk too much before he kisses her, is almost every single time I've ever heard it before, that's a woman's line in a rom-com or a sitcom or, you know. Like, really? I can't. I would say yeah. that's the stero- stereotypical guy telling a woman she talks too much. Or am I wrong? Oh, no, I mean... I, that's not how I took it at all. I mean, like, I didn't, maybe, I didn't I read it that way. I didn't read it as a sexist moment. But if I was going to call out that line as being like emblematic of a rom com trope, I would have said that the genders were correct. I, you know, to be completely honest, I don't know if it's actually a gendered thing because, like, I feel like I've seen rom coms where the woman's just like, "Shut up and kiss me," or um, 
or the man's just like, you know, basically kisses her to shut her up. So, mm-hmm. like, it's kind mm-hmm. of both. Like, I don't okay. know if it's necessarily gendered. Yeah. But. All right. <laughs> yeah. I liked it no matter what. It didn't, it, I, I didn't get anything um, weird out of that scene. And I feel well, like you could. Sokka's like, Sokka's basically, it's not, not about sexism or anything like no. that. Sokka's just trying to right. cut her off because... Mm-hmm. She's wrong. Yeah. He's like, like I'm, she, I'm with you. She didn't misread him. She didn't misread him at I all. did the he emotional work baggage. overnight, and I'm good. Yeah. So the thing, so there's like a bunch of stuff here. I know a couple episodes ago, Mike was asking me um, if part of my problem with UA was that she wasn't Suki. And I had said at the time that I loved Suki independently, and it wasn't necessarily the Suka-Saka pairing that I was latched on to, which was true. At the time, it really was just Suki in and of herself is awesome, and, you know, it's cute that she and Sokka clearly have, like, a little thing, but that wasn't, like, my... That wasn't what I had latched on to so much as her individual character. Now that we're here, I'm, like, all in on this ship. This I know, is, I love this ship. It's I, I love it. I think it's cute. <laughs> this is the best thing. If they try to replace her with somebody else, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, well... If I could ask a question yeah. in the next episode, uh, I mean, jumping ahead, obviously, Ty Lee kind of flirts with him from across yeah, the room. She, I like it. Before. And, and Sokka responds. Too. He responds and he's like, hey. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, mean. like, I like. The thing is, like, Sokka is also can, like, canonically, like, good looking or yeah. attractive, which I think that's what. It's not that I ship the two of them. I just think it's funny because Tylee's like, hey, there's a cute guy. Hi. Yeah. And, it doesn't and, It doesn't bother me because I don't Okay. I don't see it as a betrayal. Like, if we got some other scene and they were, like, you know, Sokka was, was into her. Like, I can see him, like, appreciating her and appreciating the attention. More so than it's about Tylee. I think any girl who, you know, was like, oh, and her, and Avatar's friends. I think Sokka, no matter what, would be like, hey, you know, how's it going? But because it's not a personal thing, and because it's so clearly, you know, if they ever go down that road, then I will have problems. But (laughs) there's a huge, what they call Taka contingent. There's a huge Toph Sokka like fandom well, oh, thing. Tough. So that was Tyler. another thing that I was going to bring up. So we have this weird two beat that's not really a two beat. It should have been a three beat, but they didn't finish it and then they subverted it weirdly. But so first we have on the rock ledge, um, Toph does the, uh, the rock awning thing that we've talked about. And Sokka is so consumed with worry over Suki that he just kind of storms off. And we get a shot of Toph and she's like, Sure, Sokka. Happy to save your life, or like you know, whatever. She's sarcastically commenting on the fact that she saved him, and he hasn't even thanked her, acknowledged it, or whatever. Fine. Then we move on, and when they're trying to get through the serpent's pass, and the actual serpent has shut up, and Sokka's like, "That's where the name comes from." <laughs> they Katara creates an ice bridge. And everyone runs across no, before it. Before that, hang on. Before that, they make like a Moses bubble to try and yeah. cross they it do. along the seafloor. They do. It's like a sunken part of this pass. Like yeah, underwater. that's 
That's awesome. But the emotional beat of the Toph Sokka thing is right. when she's trying to cross the ice bridge and he's like coaxing her along, like, follow the sound of my voice. And she's like, it would be really hard to miss it. Like, you're just <laughs> screaming and being useless. Uh, and the bridge cracks and she falls in the water and she can't swim. And so Sokka yells out, Toph, I'm, you know, I'm coming for you. But before he can get in the water, Suki dives in and she swims over and she saves Toph who is blind and there's no earth around and so she doesn't know who it is that has grabbed her and saved her but she assumes that it's Sokka because he had just called out that he was going to come get her and so she kisses Suki on the cheek and is like, Sokka, you saved me and Suki's like, actually, it's me and Toph is like, like, you can just let me drown now I love that line. It was so cute. And it's really funny. And I can see, not just there, but I can see in other, um, even in previous episodes, where people might ship the two of them. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I don't ship it. I think it's cute. And the creators Mm -hmm. themselves are like, it's kind of like the Goonies. Yeah. Where it's like the the older brother has his girlfriend and like the younger brother has a crush on his brother's girlfriend and that's kind of the top situation is that you know like she just kind of has crush on this older guy and he's cute and whatever um i don't know i thought that was super adorable and also Mm -hmm. suki has like super waterproof makeup i would like to know where that's from i was impressed (laughs) i noted that too (laughs) not a single streak it doesn't move it was like where is that from I could use them. But it didn't either I when Aang when Aang was interpreting or not interpreting, when Aang was impersonating uh Avatar Kyoshi and he had the makeup on, he lost the rest of the outfit, but the makeup stayed the whole time too. So I think it's just like really well long wearing <laughs> whatever high, it is. High quality makeup that these Kyoshi warriors have got going Play, on. Maybe. I don't know, but I was just like this stuff does not budge or like smear or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've got to wear that stuff into battle, guys. I mean, you know, it's true. You want to keep it. You can't sweat off your battle safe. makeup, <laughs> right? Oh man, so good, so good. So yeah, so that they Katara. Um, I know we're all over the place, guys, but we're kind of following like emotional beats rather than like the actual progression of the story. But to go back to some of the cool bending stuff, Katara kind of parts the sea, and they're all walking through, and then yeah, like she a little gets bubble of air yeah, in the water. They create this little bubble that they're walking through in terms of bending, and that was really cool. I liked that a lot. And then when she and Aang are battling the serpent, um, there's some cool bending that happens yeah, there, there too. Katara like gets like ice skis or something, you know? Like, like jet skis. It's like a surfboard. Yeah. And yeah. so she's like skimming around on the water on those, and um, it was it was. Very cool. So what and Toph, I mean, the way that Toph wound up, like, anywhere near the ice bridge is because the serpent attacks them mm-hmm. underwater, and, yeah, and she, she lifts everyone. them up. Yeah, she lifts the floor up above the surface of the water. Which I didn't really know why, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't know why she didn't just do that more. In the first place? Yeah, but maybe the distance away from the ocean floor was a factor, I don't know. Maybe she's, yeah, maybe, like, maybe she just couldn't feel the floor because she was above the surface of the water, so she can't, like, right. feel it to bring it up, or... Yeah. Uh, I liked, I liked that she didn't want to cross the ice bridge, because, I mean, obviously it makes sense she can't see 
then. But I also was kind of like, well, we've seen her do stuff like shoot... I mean, like, she's standing on a rock. So, like, she could theoretically just, like, either shoot it... the rock. (laughs) Or, yeah, or, like, create, like, a little, like, skipping stone thing. You know, I was like, she doesn't seem super helpless in this situation, but I'll go with it. Like, (laughs) it's fine. Or it's just, like, Sock is, like, on the other side. I was like... You know, one of y'all could just cross the bridge again and, and help like, her. take her hand yeah. and like run across. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. I mean, it had that cute little like uh-huh. <laughs> you can let me drown now. <laughs> I was like yeah. that's so cute. Well, let's talk about Ang and Katara's emotional beat cuz they yes. they have an emotional thread too throughout the mm-hmm. throughout this so, episode. So Yeah, and we had talked in the beginning about how Ang, you know, Katara's like trying to create more concern among the group and be more sensitive about the fact that Appa's missing, and Aang's like, no, no, it's fine. And he is just... We saw him in the previous episode really lose control and get really angry and and be unable to process his emotions, and now he just seems really subdued. And he's like shut down. Yeah, totally. he's just emotionally closed off. And when they get to the Serpent's Pass, and there's that sign there about abandoning hope, and everyone, uh, you know, is is distraught at that idea. Hope is all we have to hold on to. The pregnant woman, in particular, is really distressed at that notion. And Aang just says, "You know what? Maybe that's a good idea. Like, hope can't help us. It's not going to do anything." We just have to get through this, and I don't see how hope is going to help. And that's so different from the Aang that we've come to know throughout this series so far, that you just really see how devastated he is, and, and like, depressed. It's it's a depression. Um, I also think he's, like, somewhat overcorrecting for having lost his shit in previous episodes. Yeah, yeah. and he Because he really that. does. He just loses it he gets angry and he lashes out and he's cruel and he hurts people and i think ang is now trying to overcorrect that by just being like super calm and like really emotionally distant from his friends there's that scene where they're like it's like their camp for the night so we have like the whole Sokka suki conversation with the moon between them and then we have a conversation between ang and katara that right. same night and you know she's like it's okay to feel it you know and um, and the the thing that kills me is that she opens at the end of the conversation she opens her arms to give him a hug and all he does is bow. And I was like, oh, I know, my heart out. This is the other. Think, oh, Mike, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that you last episode I think you guys were saying was the first time you guys connected emotionally with Ang, and I feel like this episode is that for me. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, like I get. The, the lashing out, I mean, that is, like, a, a way into a character, but just the idea of, like, going through something that leaves you bereft and still having to accomplish a task, I mean, you can't always access all those feelings all the time. You just can't do it, mm-hmm. you know? Sometimes you have to put that stuff in the back burner and get done whatever it is you can, um... And actually, this week I was listening to, what the hell was it, Harmontown. I don't know if you guys listen to that podcast, Dan Harmon, creator of Community and Rick and Morty. Anyways, he was talking to an audience member about her, I think she had a difficult relationship with one of her parents who was pulling a magnified version of this crap. And Dan Harmon said, it's one of those things where 
I don't want to have a heart attack, so I'll just shut down the flow of blood to my heart. Oh. That's the logic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think what makes us connect with Aang at this point is because, like we said before, he's been so consistently cheerful, right? He's consistently cheerful, happy-go-lucky, and then you see him break that when, he, one, he loses Appa, and then he lashes out in a very human way in anger, and then shutting down. And it just, like, ow. <laughs> right. It's like, oh. Yeah, bowing and saying, thank you for your concern, you Katara, concern. and then walking away. Oof. I know. Oh, you guys drink. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Shut up. Um... <laughs> Oh, man, that scene didn't upset me when I watched it, and now I'm really upset. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's move along to the end of this arc, where they make it across the serpent's pass, and kicks the crap out of the serpent. Yeah, which is great. And then the woman... They see uh, Ba Sing Se in the distance, the gigantic wall that spans the entire horizon, and that's when, what was her name, Ying, goes into labor. Yeah. Kelly has thoughts. So, I can see it coming. As, as the only member of this podcast who has gone into labor, <laughs> um, <laughs> it is it is not the worst childbirth in fiction. It's not great, but it's not the worst. <laughs> so that's. Uh, I mean, it's a kids show. They're not going to do placenta. No, 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 no. I don't mean or like water graf- breaking or anything. I don't mean right. like. I don't even mean graphic or like any of that stuff. Like. It's just, like, I can never not, like, this used to be the kind of thing that I didn't care about before, obviously, and now I care about very much, and I realize that that's just because I've gone through it now, and so it's impossible for me to see it without being like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, um, and I know that this is a kid's show, and so they're not going to go into, like, the whole thing. But, like, just the rapidity with which it all happens. It's like, oh, now I'm conveniently going to have a baby. And, oh, you know, here, I push once. You're doing a great... Also, Katara at one point is like, you're doing a great job. If you are ever in the labor and delivery room with a woman giving birth, don't fucking tell her great job. <laughs> like, those... <laughs> All this, like, cheerleading, like, go team, you can do it, sort of, like, you're doing great, honey. Like, all that, no, mm-mm. That's not, this is not a sports event. This is not, like, no. No. <laughs> anyway. And so, yeah, it was. The, um, they said it, oh, another, like, cool little, you know, bending thing is, uh, Katara's, like, you know, she's all gung-ho about helping deliver the baby. Yeah. And she gets Toph to make a make giant, the giant birth tent. tent. Yep. And I swear, <laughs> she only sends Ang and Sokka. She sends Ang to get rags, and she sends Sokka to get water, which I swear is for the specific reason of having him faint later and end up soaked. Because <laughs> wouldn't you send an, a water bender to get water and just get Sokka to get the the friggin' rags? 
yeah, yeah, you could send Aang sense. to get the water because he can bend exactly. it. Um, yeah, but right. yeah, but you have to have the comedic scene of like of you know him, yeah, walking fainting. into the birthing tent and just like. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also, I did think it was l- really hilarious about how Katara was like, I can do this. I've helped Grand Grand. And Sokka's like, this is not a baby seal. It's an actual human, human. thing. <laughs> she calls it a human thing. And she's like, a baby? <laughs> oh, right. And that was right after he was, after uh, Ying was like, oh, I'm going to labor. And he's like, can't you hold it in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sokka. <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah, yeah. Oh god. Anyway, so the baby is born. The baby is born, and everyone goes in to see it. I I love, I love that Sokka's like it's all squishy. I know. Yeah. Well, I love that Toph is like it sounds healthy because it's crying, <laughs> you know, and she can't see it obviously, but she's, <laughs> I loved that. Um, and and Ang finally goes in. He goes in last. And there's a whole conversation about how they want to name their baby something really special that's imbued with a lot of meaning. And they, Aang says, he starts to cry, which is really moving. And it's this moment that kind of breaks down that emotional wall that he's built up over the course of the episode. And he says to them, again, emotional, mature conversations, everybody. He says, I've been having a really hard time. Um, but you have helped me find hope again. And they decide to name their baby Hope. And, uh, you know, everything is just kind of lovely and wonderful. And Aang has a really great conversation with Team Avatar outside the tent when he says, you know, I know I haven't been myself. I'm sorry. I, it's really important to me that I find Appa. And I can't, I don't think I wrote down the exact quote, but... He's talking about how he feels about Appa, and then he says to Katara, and that's also how I feel about you. Yeah. And he hugs her, and they have the hug that they didn't have before, and it's really touching and sweet and lovely. And he flies off to Ba Sing Se to find Appa, and while overhead... He's heading to get to the Earth King. Yeah. That, that's his priority. Appa is, like, what he's going to do, I guess, afterwards, but he's trying to get that no, information to the Earth King. No, no because he's he says he's going to... Because he says he sees the drill, and then he turns to Momo, and he says mm-hmm. Appa's going to have to wait. Yeah, so he's definitely there for Appa, because he had heard the Sandbenders oh. say that he probably... Like, Appa was probably in Bossing Say. the merchants have taken him there, so... Right, I knew he knew that all... Everything in Bossing Say was there, including Appa. I just, for some reason, I thought that well, they're definitely going to they're going to tell the Earth King. But I just assumed that by the time when Katara and Sokka get and Toph get there, that's when they're all going to talk to the Earth King. And because Aang can fly, he can fly over and look for Appa first. Yeah, so that was kind of what I thought. But yeah, Yeah. they're they're all going to the Earth King to tell him about the Mm -hmm. day. Like the solar eclipse and stuff, but um, yeah, like they they recognize that Appa is Aang's priority, which I also really liked. Yeah, it that was really his sweet. friends are really supportive. They're just like, yeah, we understand he's really important to you, so go ahead, go ahead of us and go find Appa first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course he gets to the wall, top of the wall, and then he sees this giant phallic drill <laughs> on the way to the wall. 
He's like really phallic, you guys. I mean, all drills are kind of phallic. I know, but this in particular is shaped like really. And it has this really weird scene where like we see it extending segment by segment, so it's just growing as we watch it. And like then it's the slurry, <laughs> and then it's just like, uh, it's like this is really kind of gross. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. In the second episode, when the slurry stuff starts going everywhere, it's really yeah. No. <laughs> yeah I was like, no, kids show, kids show. Um, yeah, but we're adults, but. <laughs> I still, I so didn't see any of that when I was watching it. I'm really surprised. You're like just inoculated to I think the patriarchy. So, yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> the patriarchy is everywhere. Um, so, so yeah. So that I guess was kind of the first episode. We were all over the place, and we talked about that for a long time, and we still have a whole another episode to go. Well, the drill doesn't have as doesn't have the emotional beats. The drill is right much straight forward action. Yeah, and some really good one-liners um, yes. in the drill. And really good action, actually. This episode had some really, really fantastic action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the drill. Okay, so in the second half of this single episode that I watched... <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, should I throw in the voice actors for this thing? There aren't that many. I figure, why don't we just treat them as one big episode? And okay, do it at the end. All right. end. Yeah. Sure. All right. So inside the super phallic drill, we have, of course, Azula and her two best buds and some, like, bureaucratic head of drilling guy. Yeah. Some war minister, yeah. War minister dude who's assuring Azula that totally nothing's going to go wrong. This is all great. Yada, yada. Which, of course, means that something's going to go wrong. Which it does. Um... I'm trying to remember. Oh, the Earth... The... Who is he? The guy on the wall. The Earth like guy. General... Oh, General Song. Yeah. General Song. He kind of... General Song. He kind of looks like there's, like, three small kids like, inside a big coat <laughs> pretending to be one dude. <laughs> that's, like, that's all I could think of the entire time. Uh, <laughs> not in his face, but just in, like, his physical, like, movements. I was like, that's three kids in one coat. <laughs> Um, him, he sends out his advanced, uh, team of earthbenders called the Terror Team, which... Terra. Terra? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, like Terracotta Earth, or Terra. Earth. Yeah. That makes sense. I thought it was terror, like, terrifying. Uh, and either way... Which they were not. Sokka. Yeah. They were not terrifying. Sokka's like, that's a, that's a good group name. Very catchy. <laughs> But so the Terra team, which again makes way more sense, he sends them out first, and Tylee's like, "Who are these muscular guys coming out to greet us?" And Azula, you know, sends her friends off to dispatch of them, and May's like, "Finally, something to do." <laughs> I love them. I really do. Yeah, they're really great. May doesn't do a whole lot in this episode other than have some great one-liners of, of which right. that is one. But I think she initially throws some daggers, but then Ty Lee takes out all of them with her chi-blocking mm-hmm. moves. Um, yeah. 
So she takes them all out, and so the general up on the wall starts panicking, because at first he'd rejected Aang's help. Aang went to him and was like, hey, I'm here, there's this big drill, what do you want to do, let's coordinate, and the guy's like, no, 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 we don't need you. And then Toph is like, maybe now you want the Avatar's help? And the three kids in the coat go up to him and are like, yes, please. The, the sound effect <laughs> that he, he like, slides into frame, and he's like... Mm-hmm. Yes, please. <laughs> it's just this. this was after that line he had about how it, the city is named Ba Sing Se, <laughs> impenetrable city, not Na Sing Se. Is that a legit impenetrable city. city? Is that a legit yeah. pun? Is that real? I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't look it up. <laughs> I do believe Ba Sing Se does mean impenetrable city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I have I no idea check. if it's real or not. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so then he accepts the Avatar's help, and then they're all standing They're all standing along the wall looking out, and then everybody just turns to look at Sokka. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and Aang's like, like, you're the, you're idea, the idea guy. guy. <laughs> and Sokka's like, oh, so I'm the only one who could come up with ideas? And Katara's like, and also the complaining guy. And Sokka's like, I don't mind that part as much. <laughs> <laughs> so great. I love Sokka being the actual strategist and contributing to the group. It's fabulous. I also like that they acknowledge it too. They're like, and Sokka. <laughs> Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's pretty great. And then we have everybody. How does he, how does he come up with the plan? Take what it happens? down from within. Um, oh, oh, they're yes. talking about, about the chi blocking because um, Katara's yeah, healing one Tylee. of the mm-hmm. healing one of the the terror team members, and she's explaining that his chi's blocked. That's why he can't bend. You know, it's like she takes you down from within, and that's what gives Sokka the idea. He's like, okay, we have to weaken <laughs> no, no, it from no. the inside. He's not like okay. He's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Sokka's a Ravenclaw for sure. <laughs> no. He's a Ravenclaw. He's definitely Ravenclaw. No. I know one when I see one. <laughs> oh, man. All right, don't ever get in a fight with JJ about what Hogwarts house you go in, because you'll just be wrong. Anyway, <laughs> we'll save that for another time. Um So, yeah, so he comes up with this idea. We're going to take it apart from within so that everybody goes out, uh, Toph creates a big dust cloud to obscure them, which is hilarious because when Tylee is looking through her little periscope binocular thing, she's like, what is that big poof of dust? Poof. It's so poofy. <laughs> poof. I love her. She's the best. Um, I just love it, the group chemistry because she's so happy and bubbly, and then May is just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> And Azula's just crazy. Um, But so Toph leads them out to the drill, and then she sucks them all down into the earth. And Sokka goes, I can't see anything, it's so dark in here! And Toph's like, oh no, what a nightmare. (laughs) (sighs) Humor, humor, very funny. So they break in. Toph doesn't want to go into the drill because it's all metal, so she's going to stay on the outside and try to hinder its progress uh, from outside while everyone else goes in. And Katara and Sokka and Momo? Does Momo go too? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. They all go in and they... Sokka damages a pipe, which springs well, a he leak. Says that, yeah, he says, we need schematics for this, for this drill. Mm-hmm. 
And then he damages a pipe, and they're like, why did you do that? They now know we're here. And he's like, yeah, but this thing is run by engineers, so they're going to go check it out to see what mm-hmm. the problem is, and then we can fig- like get schematics from them. So that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Katara does some Kat- really cool bending. <laughs> yeah, she bends the steam in the air into ice, which was pretty cool. Uh, and they take the schematics, and they find the weak or the structural parts of the drill, and Aang and Katara go back and forth, back and forth, trying to saw through a beam with water, but it takes forever and a lot of energy, and then when they finally do get all the way through it, it just kind of shifts a little and doesn't actually collapse. And so they're feeling really fruitless, they're spending all this energy for not a lot of effort, until finally they realize that if they just weaken some strategic points and then deliver a final blow, that will do it, rather than trying to completely sever all of these different things. The entire time, Sokka, of course, can't bend and can't do anything actually useful to help weaken the structural stuff, so he's just being, like, the cheerleader <laughs> in a really annoying way. Don't, don't do this during childbirth. <laughs> or ever, in general. Um, just cheering them on and being really, 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 really obnoxious. Uh... Which is pretty hilarious, especially later on. So that's kind of what they do. Ty Lee finds them. Uh, they're all still looking. They all find yeah, them. They, they all, all find, find them. them. Yeah, May and, and Azula and Ty Lee, they confront them in this... I guess it must be just like like the whatever mechanical engine that's like running them. The drill. The, this is not for JJ because she hasn't seen it, but Mike, all I can think of from West Wing is the steam pipe trunk ventilation room. Distribution venue. Yeah, distribution venue. venue. There you go. The steam pipe yeah. trunk distribution venue from West Wing. Um, when I was watching the scene, I couldn't help but notice in the background there were, like, along the walls, which I guess is where the machinery is, there were all these giant vents that were red hot and glowing. And I kept thinking, like, if there's water in this machine and you just throw that water at the red-hot thing, that should kind of take care of the problem of it working. But only temporarily, right? Because then they just light the fire again, and then it will go. I mean, when you take metal from, like, red-hot independently on fire and cool it down... Sometimes. I mean, it depends on what it is, but yeah, it can. Or it can fracture or weaken. Yeah, that's right. You've done all this welding and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know nothing. So, though, so, whatever. That was just my metal nerd noticing thing. I like it. Thing. Like, well, at one point, Aang is like, oh, if only I were a metal bender. And I was like, is there such a thing? Sadly, no. Sadly, no. Although, I wonder, can Toph... No. No. I guess metal isn't really rock. It's different. It's different. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So... Tylee, that's when Tylee has the whole line about the avatar, avatar and his friends. On the side is like, hey, hey. Hello. He's like, hey. <laughs> What's up? He's like, hey. <laughs> so they, so they split, split up, went up to Antar and gives Aang her pouch of water. water. Not, not special just water, just water, regular, just regular pouch of water that she carries. carries. Uh, which uh, I learned last week was Aang. And I thought that was cool because... You know, he, he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. I think he probably, probably should start carrying his own water. water. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. <laughs> so, 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 so it was nice to lend it to him. Well, she, he has other 
bending right, abilities. Yes, right, yes. He's got air and earth, so he doesn't necessarily need the water. But he's they've split up because he's going to use the water to weaken the braces mm-hmm. from the outside. Mm-hmm. And Sokka and Katara are basically drawing, distracting Ty Lee and May so that Aang can do this in peace. Um, they go down this little tunnel, and this is where the slurry comes in. So, like, the drill has, by now has made contact with the walls of Bossing Say. So it's, like, slowly starting to drill its way into it. And in the process, this drill is creating slurry, I guess, to ease the drilling process. Which, ew. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> right, ew. <laughs> I just tuned in to what was going on. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for joining us. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> but I like that, like, so they, they climb in the tube that's, like, filled with all the slurry, and, and Ty Lee jumps no, in. They don't. Only Ty yeah, Lee does. only Ty Lee jumps in after them. May makes it clear yeah, she's not doing what is that. her line? Jumping she's like, into the wall she can juice. shoot all the lightning she wants at me. I am <laughs> not going in there. Oh, she calls it wall sludge yeah. juice. <laughs> she, like, shudders. She's like, <laughs> So Sokka and Katara get shot out the back of the, the drill, you know, with the rest of the, basically the rest of the drainage. And then Katara bends the water in the slurry to mm-hmm. prevent Ty Lee from coming after her, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then at, at the same time, so Azula has gone after... Aang, who's, like, now on top of the drill and, like, trying to basically whip his way or saw his way through the top enough to, like, weaken it so he could, like, d- deliver, like, a final blow and he's fighting Azula at the same time. Um, so that's kind of what's going on, mm-hmm. like, concurrently. Um, but yeah, With Katara at the back, um, I had two thoughts. One, I really loved her line that, she, like... When she caught Ty Lee, she's like, why don't you try blocking my chi now, circus freak? <laughs> I was like, that's that's a fun line. Um, and the other thing is, like, at a certain point, she pushes back hard enough on the sludge coming out of there. And, like, you see pipes bend and mm-hmm. burst and, like, buckle and stuff. How is Ty Lee alive? I was like, how is Ty Lee, like, not drowned, is my question. Or, like, crushed to yeah. death. I mean... Yeah, when Toph comes to help her, they push it all the way back in, and all the pipes start to crumble, and... One of my favorite things is, this is when Sokka is cheering yeah. on Katara, <laughs> like, and she just, like, oh, yeah. basically backhands her brother with bending, and right. she's like, just shut up, <laughs> just shut up, Sokka, you're not helping I love that, too. Well, because his line right before that was, like, like he was giving her that empty encouragement of, like, keep doing it, do yeah. the thing, you know, whatever, you're doing great. And she gives him a look, He's and like, Just shut I think up she and bend says something. <laughs> yeah, bend the slurry woman. And then, yeah, she backhands him. <laughs> She's great. Katara is great. Um, yeah, and so... Then Aang and Azula are having this fight on the top of the drill. Yeah, and because really all the slurry fight. has been backed up, it's kind of exploded all over the place, so they're kind of, like, slipping mm-hmm. all over the place as they're trying to fight. A really great fight scene between the two of them, too. Yeah, and yeah. Aang is starting to incorporate the other styles of bending into his fighting more, so we see him mm-hmm. do yeah, some really too. cool earth bending. This is the first time he's used all three in a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's used water to kind of, like, whip her hands, kind of block the fire that way. Um, and then when her fire, like, basically evaporates his water, then he turns to other elements. He starts using rocks. He, like, he does the rock armor thing. Yeah, he does the hands. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I love this. It's, like, my favorite earthbending trick when they just, like, pull the armor, like, on top. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and as well, this is going on, the Terra team up at the top of the wall of Ba Sing Se are just, like, knocking rocks down onto the drill. Which seems so feeble. I know. It's just like... And, and Aang's like, can you stop? And then the general is like, no, keep going. <laughs> um, but it helps him in the end because he gets, like, one rock mm-hmm. that, like, like right on top of the X he's made to break it. And so he, like, rock bends it into a wedge. Wedge. To, you know, basically, and then he's going to just, like, break it that way, which I thought was really... I, I just like... Like, we know more about bending, we know how bending works, and I just like the creative way that bending is starting to be used and shown in this show. Um, so yeah, that that is his plan, and of course Azula comes and screws everything up, mm-hmm. as pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the different bending types definitely, like, lights up the same part of my brain that really likes, I mean, I guess the internet calls it process porn, but it's, like... When we were kids watching, um, like, Sesame Street, it was the episodes where they went inside the candy factory mm-hmm. and showed you how they made like the, the gumballs. Like, the crayon factory. Exactly. Yeah, Those were the ones that always, like, hooked my attention. I'm, I'm learning how a thing gets made. Yeah. Well, yeah. you and make that's, that's stuff, a, too. Like, the, ever since I've known you, our whole lives, you are always, like, building something. It's com- It's a compulsion <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of control over it. It's just... A thing I'm doing at the moment. I don't know if I told you guys this. I, uh, we had some visitors this weekend, but whatever. Um, I mentioned I'm making a pot and pan rack out of copper um, pipe, and it's just a basic ladder design. But to do it, I have to see if I can't find a way to weld in my cast iron bathtub because there's no place else to do it right now. <laughs> so I may or may not burn the house down. I, you know, if you guys don't ever hear from me again, that's what happens. Try happened. to wait until we finish the show. Right. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll make no promises. <laughs> There's a compulsion. I have a monkey on my back, Kelly. Um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I love when Aang finally gets the wedge in, and he has to gain enough momentum to drive it down, and so he does his his signature move. He does the little sh- the sphere, and he runs up the side of the wall and then turns around and has that, like, blast of speed down yeah and he i love that move he slams down on the wedge just before he just misses azula's fire blast and you know it works as uh as they anticipated that it would and the drill you know kind of starts to collapse and everything starts to fall apart and azula gets you know kicked back into the mud and whatever and there's another hilarious moment where melee or not melee may huh pops out of the drill for a second to look at Tylee and Azula covered in mud, and she goes, we lost. (laughs) (laughs) So detached. (laughs) Which is just really delivery is so good on all of her lines. Just this, like, I'm so bored and apathetic. (laughs) It's so good. And her voice actress, I think, was it Cricket Lee? Has that, like, wonderful kind of husky Mm -hmm. quality to her voice that just makes it, like, 
It's so, so, so great. And that's kind of the end. And I mean, I have... There's a tag scene uh, with Iroh and Zuko getting on the train Mm -hmm. and meeting... Hope, um, the baby. I forget the new couple's name. Yeah, which A, that pregnant lady is on her feet quick. Um, And B, uh, one of the other cool bending things that was the close of the show is the train system that goes into Bossing Say is run Earth by Earthbenders who are basically like pushing it like it's a mine cart <laughs> pretty yeah. much it's a re- that was really cool I noticed that too um, yeah there's a couple things I guess the whole thing with Iroh and the T and Jet finding out that their benders actually happened in this second half instead of the first half but we already talked about it one thing we didn't talk about was when Iroh and Zuko are going through customs and Iroh's Flirting with the flirting. with the woman to try to you know whatever it's great. Mole it's woman. really really great. I loved it. Um, and I just love that Zuko is so embarrassed. By yeah, <laughs> Iroh's <laughs> such a realistic teenage thing. Just like oh gross. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so so good. So yeah, and then we just kind of end and. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I've seen the next episode, so I know that this isn't going to be addressed immediately, but, like, it's great that they stopped the drill and everything, but it still broke through the wall. Like, you yeah. you still have to <laughs> do something about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which they don't really do right now. Or, spoiler, in the next episode. Um, but, but... It's a temporary victory. Yeah, they, yeah. They stopped they've, they've it halted. from in and from mm-hmm. advancing through the wall, uh, entirely. Um, so, you know, it has to, not has to, but this particular arc ends on a happy Mm -hmm. note because, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm pissed because Suki left (laughs) (laughs) and I don't really care about anything else except for that. And so, yeah, that's, that's this pair of episodes. And I'm really, it's really stressing me out that I can't talk about anything that happens next, but I can't. Like I said, it's like what Toph said. It's like, okay, oh, oh gosh, what a nightmare. Yeah, is this <laughs> yeah, how it feels? Exactly. Is this how it feels? <laughs> yeah. But imagine you had a season and a half of episodes that you've seen and you can't and talk, you can't about, talk them. about it. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. So, all in all, a pretty good pair of episodes. I mean, I think yeah. the quality has consistently been improving in season two. Mm hmm. Even from the very beginning of the season where you had, like, the Cave of Two Lovers, which I like, you know, and it's amusing, and it's kind of fluffy and lighthearted. And you kind of have, like, Avatar Day in the swamp, which is fine. It's not that great. And then it just, like, really is starting to hit its stride in terms of, I think, plot, characterization, everything. I think it's just, like, really just improves over the course of the season. gets better and better. So we're kind of entering the part of the show that I just really love. Mm Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm. All right, then. Well, we have any thoughts first about, like, voice um, actors? Oh, and yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'll do this in reverse. The drill um, really only had... Uh, the war minister was Christopher Tabori, who we've previously seen as the fire emissary in the Northern Air Temple episode. He was the guy who came up through the dumbwaiter and that whole thing. <laughs> um and the other um, guy with the role, General Sung, was played by a guy named Barry Denon, 
who, um, after last week, when I mistakenly claimed that, um, what's his name, Hector Elizondo has um, Tony Awards, I realized I have not given any thought to if any of these people have a theater background. It just so happens Barry Denon does. Um, he has been involved in Jesus Christ Superstar as Pontius Pilate on and off for the past, like, 40 years. Wow. Really? Yeah. Um, he was, let's see, what else did he play? The vizier in the original Prince of Persia video game, who was a villain. Uh, he was in Grim Fandango. He did voices on Gummy Bears and DuckTales and The Dark Crystal. Ooh. That's my childhood right there. Well, I don't know if, I, I couldn't think of who this was, but the role he played in The Dark Crystal was Chamberlain Podling. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I couldn't I place it. I haven't seen The Dark Crystal in years. Yeah, I've never either. seen um, it all the way and, through. And then his last role that I wrote down was on an episode of the 1977 TV show Wonder Woman, he played the role of Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then for the Serpent's Pass, uh, let's see, James C. shows up again as the cabbage guy who can't get his cabbages through I, customs. I was going to mention that, but we, we mm-hmm. forgot to mention cabbage guy who shows up yet right. again. <laughs> um, I don't know if Suki had previously gotten a voice credit or if it was just like additional voices before, but the actress's name is Jenny Kwan. Um, she's done this. She was in, uh, she's done an episode of Family Matters, The Nanny. She was in, oh, and she was also in, there was like a 90s, early 90s cartoon TV show of Little Shop of Horrors. There, and what? she played, yeah, there was a cartoon show where, uh, Seymour was like a little kid and so was the plant and so was Audrey. They were like in high school, I think. Anyways, she played Audrey, the girl, not the plant. <laughs> Alright. And then we have, oh, the bureaucrat woman, the mole lady. Um, Her name is Karen Muriyama. She's been on Arrested Development. She was on the Jamie Foxx show. She was an onlooker, a quote, gawker, somewhere in the background of a scene of Pulp Fiction. Hmm. And the thing that I I, uh, recognized her from most, like, visibly, was uh, the movie The American President. She plays Leo's secretary. She's the one who has the line to... What the hell is that lady's name? The female lead. Anyways, she says, You're the president's girlfriend. Annette Benning. As she's like walking by. Yeah, Annette Benning. Thank you. Uh, she says to Annette Benning, You're the president's girlfriend. As she walks by, and that's the moment when it dawns on Annette Benning, like, holy shit, I'm the president's girlfriend. She was also a voice on Futurama in, as an Amazonian in the episode where they land on an Amazonian planet and have to perform... Sex, or what they call Snoo Snoo. <laughs> I remember this episode. <laughs> um, uh, two more people, real quick. Uh, Kim, my guest, played uh, Ying, the pregnant lady. Uh, she was previously Song in The Cave of Two Lovers, the other oh, yeah, guy's yeah, yeah, wife yeah. or lady or whatever. The, the healer girl, the one that had that moment with Zuko. And, um... Yeah, no, the cave, yeah. Of, the cave of... She was the... Like, the girl, the one in the Korean hanbok, she's the one that takes Zuko and uh, Iroh back to their place. For roasted and, duck. Um, oh. Yeah, that, that... I thought it was... I'm pretty sure Song was the, you know, the guy who was screaming about secret tunnel. No, I thought that, that it was, was... that was Chong. 
because you had to have a Cheech and Chong reference. Right, but his lady friend wasn't that song. I, I could have sworn that that was. I think no song was definitely. All right, well, either way, girl. Yeah, it's not super important. Um, she has been in the Metal Gear Solid video game series, playing Mei Ling. She played Lady Deathstrike in X Men Legends, and she's been in the Dead Island franchise. And then last, uh, Thon, the husband of the pregnant lady, is played by Brian Tochi, who has been doing this damn thing since. The 80s. Um, he was Takashi in Revenge of the Nerds. He was uh, Private Nagoda in Police Academy 3 and 4. He was Liu Kang in an animated Mortal Kombat. He was in a background scene of Fight Club as a fight bully. <laughs> and the role that I, of course, know him best as is the voice of Leonardo in the live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh, movie. Oh, like the one from when we were kids? Yeah, like, it was a different guy in the suit, but the he voice. was the voice of Leonardo. Nice. Yeah. Yep. And that is all. Yep. Any trivia stuff? Um, aside from, I mentioned that, um, a caricature of one of the creators is in the, <clears throat> in the Avatar, mm-hmm. like, costumes. The other thing is, if you actually listen to that scene, which I did with my headphones on, that when they cut over to the group of avatars, fake avatars, there's an off-tune version of the theme playing. It's like super oh, really? off-key and dissonant and totally off-tune. It's quite funny. Um, also, the going back to the cabbage guy, the bureaucratic lady denies cabbage guy because she's like, you can't, you know, what if your cabbages have cabbage slugs? That's that right, would cabbage the ecosystem. guy. Um, and so then you have this platypus bear that like destroys all of the, mm-hmm. the cabbages. And if you he was the security. If you slow it down, you see a little cabbage slug actually fly out of out of one oh, of the cabbages. Really? Yeah. So she was right. Um, Son of a bitch. Poor cabbage merchant, though he never gets a break. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, nothing much aside from there's just like some lines and. <laughs> Suki's like, look at you, sleeveless guy. Been working out. <laughs> Sokka's just like, yeah, I grab a tree branch and do a couple of t- chin touches now and again. <laughs> and he's like flexing his like noodly arms. Yeah, like it was like the least <laughs> defined they've ever drawn his arms. Like uh, he's like, yeah, you know, just patting on him and stuff. I love Sokka so much. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Really have much. I, you know, it's funny. Like as we get further into this show, I kind of been taking less and less notes, simply because I like kind of forget to because I get caught up in mm-hmm. <clears throat> enjoying the show that I like forget to make note of things. But that's that's kind of mostly what's. Oh, one other line was, um, they're on the serpent's pass and they finally encounter the serpent and Sokka just grabs Momo and is like, "Oh, great and powerful sea serpent, <laughs> please accept this humble, tasty offering." Yeah. <laughs> the is like Sokka. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're just, you know, kind of little things like that. They were listening to the commentary. The They knew that the gang... So, like, so Sokka comes up with Team Avatar. <clears throat> but actually the internet calls them the gang with two A's, the way Aang is spelled. Oh! Um... 
but the creators always knew that in order to get into Bossing Say, they were going to have to cross the Serpent's Pass, and that's only because I guess when Brian Konitzko was like doing art direction work and he created like kind of a brief map of this world, there's like this really thin strip of land. And that was like the only way to cross, and so that like all of that is hinged on like one really quick sketch that he's done. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it was it was really kind of fun. They call this the kissy episode as well because there's a lot of kissing happening in it, <laughs> or a lot of talking about kissing happening in it. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed these two a lot. Uh-huh. I think I enjoyed the Serpent's Pass a little bit more than the drill. I mean, yeah. the drill was cool because it had all the cool action stuff like really right. great action sequences but like emotionally there's a lot of stuff going on in uh-huh. in the serpent's past that i really liked uh-huh. so. well suki's not in the drill so yes that's that's <laughs> true too but i i also really just like Sokka and suki as a ship i uh-huh. think it's adorable i think they work unlike ua where you kind of just yeah. like he sees her and he's like, oh, she's super hot, and that's like the extent of their connection. Whereas Suki and Sokka have had this like established connection from the previous season. So like when it kind of gets and they were kind of flirty a little bit when they first met. So like when it gets to this point, it makes so much more sense. <clears throat> yeah, I I mean we talked at length about why I didn't really think that the whole UA thing was was well executed and I stand by all that and I vastly prefer Suki both as an individual character and as a romantic interest for Sokka. Um I am glad that they gave Sokka this emotional like that he had to still process that though, that it wasn't just like that he saw Suki and he forgot all about <clears throat> UA. UA because yeah. it helps lend more credibility to it in hindsight for me you know I'm like I didn't really feel any of that while it was going on and I don't necessarily buy it but at least it that relationship had a lasting impact on the character at the very least it mattered in that way and so I really appreciated that they did that but I mean she was really Saka's first girlfriend so your first love I guess you're gonna idolize in that way he's only 15 yeah (laughs) (sighs) Now I'm just going to be so irritated for every episode that we get that doesn't have Suki in it all over again. I feel like they keep doing this to me. (laughs) They knew you were going to watch this someday. It's true. But at least they brought her back, and I'm sure that they will again. So yeah, that's what I got. Suki turns out to be the Fire Lord. Damn it, Mike! Spoilers! Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I love her anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> even if she is committing yeah, genocide yeah she's just she gets a pass I don't know because <laughs> <laughs> she's so great <clears throat> <clears throat> alright that wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion next time we'll, we will be talking about episodes The City of Walls and Secrets Tales of Ba Sing Se and Appa's Lost Days. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. And as always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, the Google Play Store, or your podcast provider of choice. Or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. 
And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones. That's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.